all you Cisco fans. Cisco is in Japan having a wonderful time. And so I am here as your host today. I'm Nita Joe Roundtree, and I have a guest. But before I introduce him, I want to let you know about some of the special things that are going on in the area. Have you noticed that Christmas seems to be creeping right up on us rapidly? All the Black Friday sales. And in fact, from November 30th to December 31st, the Bellevue Botanical Garden will have its 25th year of Garden Delights. It features over half a million sparkling lights formed into whimsical shapes of plants, flowers, birds, animals, and cascading waterfalls set among the natural beauty of the Bellevue Botanical Garden. It only costs $5 to go, and they, uh, children 10 and under are free, and they change some of the displays every year to keep you coming back year after year. They have new things. This year, they're going to have a new trout lily. And some other things. Let's see. There's also the wisteria vine, the midwinter fire red twig dogwood, red hollyhocks. It's so much fun to guess what the plant or flower or critter is that you're looking at. They have maps that the children love so that they can find all the critters on the map. Also, today at the Bellevue Nursery, they're having a holiday open house from 11 to 3 p.m., so that sounds like fun. And next Saturday, Wells Medina Nursery is having their holiday open house. There are all kinds of fun things going on this time of year. So now I want to introduce my guest, Daniel Mount. He is a writer, a speaker, a professional gardener, and he writes a monthly, uh, not monthly, an article. A bi-monthly article for Fine Gardening Magazine, which is just really one of my very favorite gardening magazines. It's a national magazine, and and Daniel writes for that, as well as for local nonprofit organizations for their newsletters. So welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you, Needle Joe. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I understand you just got back from Japan. I did. I just uh, flew back in on Monday. Oh, have you recovered from your jet lag? <laughs> Just barely. I think I slept for the first time last night. Oh, my. Well, I want to let everybody know that between Daniel and I, we would love to answer your gardening questions. And the number to call is 888-973-5476. That's 888-973-CAIRO, K-I-R-O. So tell me about this Japan trip. Um, this was a trip ar- arranged by Kazuo Suchia of Japan Specialized Group Tours. He's here in uh, Kirkland, I think, Seattle area. And it was a tour uh, especially to look at ferns of Japan. Japan has an incredible array of ferns. And uh-huh. uh, so we were traveling with members of the British Terological Society from England, uh, many members of the California, um, L.A., and San Francisco Fern Societies, and also from the Hardy Fern Foundation here in Seattle. Wow. Yeah. Well, that sounds really fun. Did you see gardens, or were you out in the mountains? Yeah, we were mostly in the mountains hiking. We did see a few gardens here and there at temples or uh, near hotels and stuff like that. Um, But it was primarily hiking in the mountains. We did some pretty rigorous hikes. We saw some amazing scenery. We were mostly on the, uh, well, we were only on the two uh, islands, Shikoku and Amami Oshima, which is similar to Hawaii. It's not quite as tropical, but almost tropical. It was very warm. 
beautiful aqua water on all the beaches and amazing tree fern forests and stuff like that. It was quite, a, quite an amazing uh, venture. So did you bring back some spores to grow your own ferns? I didn't. No? <laughs> <laughs> I've tried spores before, and I've just had such a hard time with them, I, I decided I wasn't going to bother. Oh, well, I should also mention that Daniel is a botanist and leads wildflower hikes, and he knows all the names of all of these wildflowers that are so beautiful in our mountains. I went well, on you. one of those hikes you with you. You did. So that was fun. Yeah, it is fun. And he also, being a speaker, just spoke on bulbs at the Bellevue Botanical Garden, and he had beautiful photos to show us and all kinds of information about what to plant, where, and why. So have you planted your bulbs yet? Actually, um, my bulbs didn't arrive until I was gone. So I came home to boxes of bulbs that I needed to plant. So I've been really busy this week getting bulbs in the ground and bulbs in pots. Um, I do a lot of container bulbs for my uh, deck at home. And I actually, uh, for one of my clients, I realized I hadn't ordered enough bulbs. I've been running around to all the nurseries looking for uh, what was left. I actually found quite a bit in um, some of the big box stores are having really great sales. sales. (laughs) Half-price sales. So I did pretty good. So I'm going to be planting some more bulbs this week. I think as long as the weather stays fine, you know, we're okay planting bulbs up to mid-December. Oh, sure. In fact, uh, a great thing about waiting is that even on the Internet, the mail-order bulb companies are having sales. Oh, they are. Uh, They are. In fact, I had... All my bulbs planted, and I have no room for anything else. But when I got an email from one of the bulb companies saying 40% off and free shipping, it was too much. Oh, that's I just, really tempting. I might go look when we're I, done here today. I did. I ordered some more. They Those haven't arrived yet, but they have been shipped. And I'm like, where do you think you're going to put those, Nita Joe? But Yeah, it's best to have a spot before you buy, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm not good at that either. <laughs> no, who can resist? Yeah, yeah. So that'll be lots of fun. So what bulbs in particular are your favorites? Uh, I'm a really big fan of tulips, as you know. <laughs> yes. uh, I've grown a lot of tulips, but this past year, um, at one of my client's properties in particular, and also at my home garden, the deer have just gotten so bad, and deer just love tulips. Oh, They'll- they do. They'll eat them before they even bloom. So I'm kind of veering towards bulbs that nobody likes to eat, like alliums and uh, narcissus, all the daffodils, you know, and nobody likes to eat those because they're toxic. So um, this year I'm experimenting with a lot of new daffodils at home. I like to grow – I always buy new things every year to try before I – put it in a garden that I'm designing or anything like that. But what about the foliage? Daffodils absolutely (laughs) drive me crazy because you have to let that foliage mature and die slowly. And so it looks so ugly. What do you do about that? Well, I tend to, I mean, at home, I don't have as much of a luxurious borders as I do at my clients. So, you know, I just kind of deal, look at I just ignore the foliage. It doesn't bother me. But for my clients, I always make sure that I plant daffodils behind a, an emerging uh, perennial. You know, hardy geraniums are really great. Astilbe are really great for covering up. Even daylilies do a really good job of hiding foliage of bulbs. So I'll plant the, the bulbs behind or among the perennials. And then as the perennial comes up by June or even mid-May, 
you know, they're starting to cover that foliage already. And then if there's a few sticking out, I just kind of tuck it underneath. I never cut back foliage. So the foliage doesn't have to be exposed to the sun in order to ripen. It can be hidden or shaded out by other plants. Yep, it sure can. Oh. I've had no problem with that at all. I've been doing it for years. And I have uh, a, one combination of a still bee and um, daffodils at a client's garden. And though they have been just like, going at it for 10 years, coming back and blooming every year, no problem with having their foliage covered up by the other, the, the uh, still be foliage. Well, that's a great tip. And I also understand here in the Pacific Northwest, things go much more slowly than oh, they yeah. do in the heat of the South where I'm from. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like over and done with in a hurry. And, and that's kind of an advantage that we have here is that our springs are so prolonged and we get to enjoy those flowers for a longer period of time than you do in a warmer climate. Yeah. But on the other hand, that means it takes this, the bulk foliage <laughs> longer to wrap, to ripen. Yeah. But I have been told that even if it's not completely ripe, after six weeks, it's okay to go ahead and cut it back. What do you think about that? I've heard that, and I've tried it, and it seems to work. I think it's better if you let it go as long as possible. You know, um, there's no hard rules, I don't think. You just don't want to cut it back too early. That would be the biggest problem, would be cutting it back too early and then you're setting back because that foliage is feeding the bulb for next year and a lot of times people say oh my bulbs aren't blooming again you know and i think a lot of that is people remove the foliage way too early all right all great tips well we are going to go to break we are here on gardening with cisco while cisco is in japan i'm nita joe roundtree i'm here with daniel mount and we'd love to answer your gardening questions i'll give the phone number again when we come back from break This is Gardening with Cisco. I'm Nita Joe Roundtree, and I'm filling in for Cisco today because he is leading a tour to Japan. And then in February, he's going to lead a tour to Morocco. He's a very busy guy, and I'm very envious of him being able to go to all these places. But I will say I am leading a tour, a cruise for the Bellevue Botanical Garden next May, and we're going to see gardens of the British Isles. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So welcome back, Daniel. We're back on the air. Thank you, Nita Joe. It's great to see you. You too. It's been a while. Well, since you gave your lecture for the Bellevue Botanical oh, Garden right. last right. month. Last month. Yeah, on bulbs. We were just talking about bulbs. And Daniel has given us some really great advice on what to do. And I just ordered some more bulbs, even though I have no place to plant them. But there's <laughs> there are always containers. And yeah. actually, containers are particularly good for tulip bulbs because they don't seem to do well year after year. They're really not perennial. They, If they come back the next year at all, they seem to peter out. They're not those big, gorgeous, colorful flowers that you got the first year. That's very it, true. Except for species tulips. And they seem to not only come back, but also multiply. 
So I have just planted some tulip acuminata. Have you done that one? Yes, I've grown tulip acuminata. I hate to warn you, but Uh it is not a good returner. Oh, boo. Yeah. actually, It's expensive. Not to go too botanical on you, but they've... uh, the recent research on that has uh, just – they've decided that it's actually a very old hybrid, like a hybrid from 500 years ago. Oh. And that it's actually – I have buy them every few years because it's such a cool tulip. Oh, it is cool. It looks like a flame. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. I think sometimes they call it the flame tulip. Ah, that's a good name for it. But it's a very old Turkish uh, cultivar and they are a little fussy. I think – um, I think I told you about this, but when I was in eastern Washington uh, speaking to the Spokane uh, Garden Club, it was amazing to me. I went to one garden and all these species tulips were just like seeding in and everything. And that's really the climate that most species tulip oh, want. There are hot some in the that summer, do, yeah, cold hot, in the winter. Yep, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, good drainage. Uh, uh-huh. Well, boo. Well, I'll enjoy them the first year. Yeah. There are some good species tulips for on our side of the mountains, though. Um, any of the, the bakeri cultivars uh, do really well here. Um, Clusiana, any of the Clusiana cultivars. I have some of those. I was reading uh, some gardening uh, book, and they were talking about growing tulips in clay. And I thought, really? In clay? Tulips won't do in clay. And they recommended Clusiana. So I, ha- I live in a valley and we have very heavy soil. And so I planted them in the lawn in my cherry orchard. And uh, they've been coming back and multiplying and wow. getting bigger and better every year. So nice. Clusianas, I highly recommend. Well, I'll have to get some of those. And I should, before we get too busy talking about bulbs and yeah. winter blooming plants, uh, let you know that we would love to answer your gardening questions. The number to call is one 888 973-5476-888-973-CAIRO, K-I-R-O. So I did order a different type of uh, species tulip also. I had bright gem for mm-hmm. several years, but yeah. it. I think what happens for me is I'm always planting. I'm always digging in the same bed, and I <laughs> end up digging up the bulbs without even knowing it, and then they disappear. Yeah, yeah. But for the hybrid tulips... Growing them in pots is really a great way to do it because you just enjoy them and then don't worry about it. You pull them up and throw them away, especially if you've gotten them at half price at Home Depot or, <laughs> or one of the other big box stores. Yeah, that's right. So how do you do your pots? Um, I have a, a very um, specific way in which I, I layer the soils in the pot. I put um, lava pumice on the bottom about a good two inches of pumice on the bottom because you want to make sure you have good drainage. Put in the potting soil, and then I put some more pumice, and then I put the bulbs on top of that pumice, put some more pumice on top of the bulbs, and then put the rest of the potting soil in. And then I always do a dressing of, of uh, decorative gravel on top. And I found that the gravel kind of keeps squirrels and mice from digging in there. Oh, that's but a good But it tip. also keeps the dirt from splattering out when it gets rained on and making your pots look all messy in the ah, winter. Ah, yeah. But the, the, the reason I do the, the pumice around the bulbs is because it, it keeps the water moving away from them. I think I've rotted out a lot of bulbs, even in pots. When I used to just pack the pot full of 
soil without drainage. They would rot out tulips often in the winter because mm. that pot really will hold, especially glazed pots tend to hold a lot of moisture through the winter. Well, I put moss on the top of my dirt. Oh, I love dirt. that too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of moss in places where I don't want it. So <laughs> I have a ready supply of it. Yeah. And I think that probably does fine for the squirrels. But what do you do about the deer? <laughs> the deer. Well, my my uh, pots are up on my deck, which are as far uh-huh. away from the deer. Though last winter, the deer came up on the deck during wow. the snow looking for oh. something. Oh. And they ate uh, hellebore flowers, of all things, which I thought were toxic. Well, but there was nothing else showing. So I think they just thought, well, it's something to eat. And yeah. they nipped all the hellebore flowers off. Oh, that's that, – hellebores are supposed to be – Safe from deer. Yeah, <laughs> I've always yeah. heard. I guess if there's nothing else, though, yep. they'll have. Yep. Speaking of hellebores, that's a great winter flowering perennial. I've noticed that mine are starting to bud up. Yep, exactly. So they should be opening up, what, late January usually? Yeah, yeah. Last year I even had some of the um, fetidissima, hellebores fetidissima, yeah. blooming um in December. And that is strange. the stinking hellebore. Oh, yeah, the stinking hellebore. Does it really stink? <laughs> I think if you crush the foliage or something, oh. you might get a smell out of it. I wouldn't put it right next to my front door. <laughs> <laughs> so what else are you doing to keep your garden looking lovely in the winter? Oh, boy. Um, a lot of what I do is I plant things that hold really well through the winter. I leave a lot of uh, foliage showing, like... Um, Astilbes usually hold pretty well here in the northwest into the winter, and their inflorescences are sort of interesting. A lot of grasses will hold pretty long. And um, I love camellias this time of year, though. Oh, we're going to have to talk about camellias when we come back from break. We're going to take a quick break. Please give us a call, 888-973-5476. This is Gardening with Cisco with Nita Joe and Daniel Mount. I'm Nita Joe Roundtree filling in for Cisco today, and I have my guest, Daniel Mount. We would love to answer your gardening questions at 888-973-5476. And I want to make sure that you know uh, that Garden Delights at the Bellevue Botanical Garden is coming right up. It's November 30th all the way through November uh, December 31st, 4.30 to 9 p.m. nightly. And it's only $5 admission. There's parking available. And children 10 and under are free. And in addition to all of the half, over half a million sparkling lights, there are musical performances. And you can go on the, gardening, the Garden Delights website or on the Bellevue Botanical Garden website. And there's a complete schedule of who's going to perform at what time and where. So it's an extra added addition to the Garden Delights. And also there's a coffee cart inside the warm Erin Education Center where you can come in and have some hot chocolate or coffee and warm up as you see all the lights. And also there's a gingerbread house display there, which is pretty amazing. It's made by the Wilburton Community and they are so clever, and, and it's all out of Cheerios and 
brownies and all kinds. It's so clever that that alone is worth coming to see. So when we went away on break just a few minutes ago, we happened to mention camellias. And I have a whole wall of Sasanqua camellias in full glorious bloom right now. So it's just a great winter bloomer taking you from fall into all the way into January. So do you have camellias also? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, you know, I live in the Snoqualmie Valley, so I'm a lot colder than uh, Seattle. And we can get some single-digit winter weather. And I love the Sasanqua camellias, but a few winters ago, uh, I think it was just too cold and I lost a bunch of them. Uh So I'm trying them again. But... um, I do love them. They are my favorites. Which ones are you growing? Well, I have Jean May, and I also, which is an old time favorite. Uh, I'm I'm from Atlanta. I mean, not originally. I'm from Dallas, Texas, but I lived most of my adult life in Atlanta. So, camellias love the weather in Atlanta, even though we do get some single digits. But then uh, it bounces right back up the next day, so uh, it doesn't okay. really stay that cold that yeah. long. And Jean May was one that I knew would perform well. So when I moved here, that's what I bought. Mm-hmm. And I also have one called Winter's Snowman, which is kind of disappointing. It doesn't bloom as profusely or as long as Jean May. Uh. So I'm thinking about replacing it with Setsugeki. Setsu, help me. Geku. Thank you, Daniel. (laughs) I knew you wouldn't know the right pronunciation. (laughs) But that one is white, as is Winter Snowman, but it's also fragrant. And Jean May also has a light fragrance to it. So you don't really think of camellias as going up to them and smelling them like as you would a rose. But they are lovely. Yeah, one of my favorites um, is called Apple Blossom. Oh, yes. It's also light blush pink on the buds and then opens up to a very, fairly large white flower and very fragrant. I also grow another one that's called Oshima White. It's it's not very common. I, you probably could get it at Wells or one of the specialty nurseries. Uh, but it is super fragrant. Very small white flowers, but the, it's almost like an Easter lily. It's so strong when it wow. blooms. Yeah, it's a little touchy. Of course, once again, I'm in a colder zone than you are, but it's a little touchy for win- uh, with the winter weather. Last winter, um, I had it outside, and it uh, definitely took a beating from that cold. Do you yeah. grow any of the japonicas? Um, we had one japonica, and it uh, died one year, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm just like on that edge. But I I did some research then to find out about cold-hardy uh, camellias, And I have one called Coral Delight, uh, which has been really doing great. Our problem out there is just about the time the buds start emerging, we get that February chill, and it burns the buds. Um, I am growing one of the tea camellias, though. Mm. uh, Sinensis. Yeah, and very tiny white flowers. It's actually starting to bloom right now, and that usually does really well because I think it starts its blooming – before the real cold hits, you know, the later blooming ones that would bloom in February or March in Seattle, I always have problems with those because we get those late frosts. So for those of you who are not familiar with the two main species of camellias, there's Sasanqua, which starts blooming in late October, really, and goes usually until the beginning of January, depending on the cultivar. And Japonicas, those are have the bigger 
rose-shaped flowers. They are more packed with flowers. They're a more uh, tightly growing habit of bush. They're all evergreen, which is a real bonus. And But the japonicas start blooming late January, would you say, usually, yeah, yeah. and can go th- until April. Yeah. So by mixing the two species, you can actually have flowers blooming all the way from October to April in your garden. And with beautiful, shiny, evergreen foliage. So they're really hard to beat. I I agree. I moved here from the Midwest, and my first winter here, I was just amazed that there were flowers all winter long. You know, I just, I was so delighted, and I'm still delighted to this day by the winter flowering camellias. We live in gardening heaven. I agree. (laughs) I I love Atlanta. I really enjoyed living there, but the problem with Atlanta is the heat. So we can grow so many things here that we can't grow in Atlanta. So it was I had a, a whole new education when I moved here because I had to catch up on all the things that I had never been able to grow before. Yeah, me too. When I came from Wisconsin, I mean, there's no such thing as a broadleaf evergreen in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know. There's conifers, but everything drops its leaves in the winter. When I came here and it was green all winter long, camellias and arbutus and Fatsia and all that stuff all winter long. I felt like I was in a tropical jungle. Okay. So we are going to take a break, a short break right now. I'm Nita Jo Roundtree. I'm here with Daniel Mount. And we're going to talk to Susan in Seattle as soon as we come back. Nita Jo Roundtree here with Daniel Mount to answer your gardening questions while Cisco is in Japan. So we're going to go to Susan in Seattle. Thank you for calling, Susan. I'm sorry you had to wait a while for the break to be oh, over. Oh, no problem. Just glad to talk to you, Anita, and and um, I'm glad I got through. I Before I ask my question, I must say you just talked about my most favorite perennial, the Setsuguka Japan, Japonica. Uh, I love, love that. Oh, I, and need, to, in a, I need to get one of a, those. Oh, I love them. Yes, uh, Kubota Gardens has them. Oh, <laughs> and, they have a lot of camellias. Yes, and in addition, I love my Daphne Adoras and the sweet boxes. I'll really start smelling very, very good during the winter. Ah, uh, you love that winter fragrance. Yes, I do. Um, my question is, I recently bought a euphorbia. It's a trigona rubra, and it has a lot of little leaves on it, and I've developed a little bit of dusty miller, and it appears to um, start on the leaves and then spread to the, the top of the trunk. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've sprayed some copper fungus uh, spray, um, you know, and I, I dot it with a little bit of liquid detergent soap and water and try to, try to get it off when I see it. But are these susceptible to that type of 
um, issue. Euphorbias are susceptible to powdery mildew, which is what I think okay. you're talking about. And But usually that happens, well, yeah, late fall. That's about the right time of year. Yeah, yeah. That's where we are. So uh, I usually just ignore it. And in the spring, I'm cutting back all of the foliage that doesn't look so good anymore. And it sort of seems to grow out of it. Another thing that you could try, oh, and you could try if it's if it's really bothering you, is neem oil is has been shown to be pretty effective against powdery mildew. What do you do, Daniel? Um, I probably am a little more harsh. I just cut everything out that yeah. doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, most euphorbias will resprout from the base. Um, I know maybe you have it in a container on your front porch and you want to look at it all winter and enjoy that beautiful foliage. But Well, this one, it's kind of like I don't want to cut the top of it, you know, because it's this cactus-looking thing, and I hate cutting into the the main stem, you know. I don't mind the leaves. Yeah. Well, but, then, um, then the I, I am surprised that the copper sulfate didn't help. That usually is... Uh, a good deterrent to powdery mildew, mm-hmm. but but try some neem oil, and okay. and also you can actually sometimes rub some of it off with your fingers. I do that on rose leaves sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. rub rub off the powdery mildew. Right, right. I think water, a spray of water too, will kind of wash off some of that. You know, you just don't want to keep water on the leaves too long. So I'm, I'm yeah. I guess I'm misunderstood what you're saying. So is this an, a house plant euphorbia? Yes, it is. Oh, it's okay. Euphorbia, I was talking about euphorbia. outdoor hardy euphorbias. Oh, yeah. It's also called the African milk plant. Uh-huh. And they're, they're succulent cacti, and they come up and have little leaves on the side of them. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a okay. really fun house plant, and I think okay. if you if you try some some neem oil, that's an, an yeah. that is organic, so it shouldn't okay. hurt anything in the house. And, okay, and uh, I think that should fix you up. Okay, I'll give that a go. Thank you so much. I really enjoy your program. Well, thank you, Susan. Thank you for your call. You're welcome. Bye bye now. Bye. All right, Daniel. What disease are we going to talk about next? <laughs> <laughs> what disease? Oh, there's so many diseases, it's hard to even know them all. I think one thing uh, that's been really aggravating me lately, and I don't know if you've had a problem, is the uh, viburnum. Uh, oh. <laughs> that's a, that, that viburnum beetle that's moved into the northwest. Yes, I have friends that have actually taken out their viburnums because they just couldn't fight it. Yeah. And it's it's a really bad pest out here. Yeah, and it's just recently shown up. I, I've never heard of it before and never saw it, and I was uh, took on a new client, and they had asked me about what was going on with their viburnums, and I, I saw that the leaves were just riddled with holes, and I thought, what is this? So I did some research, and I found out it actually is very prevalent on the East Coast, but it's only recently arrived in the Northwest. And in the meantime, I don't know if it was my fault, it jumped on my clothes or something, but now I have it in my garden at oh, home. Oh, no. And I have quite a few viburnums. It doesn't affect all viburnums. A lot of the leathery-leafed evergreen ones don't seem to be bothered by it. It's more the deciduous ones. Um, So anyway, I have removed those those viburnums from my 
client's garden too because it was just there was no way to control it. It's basically what everything said. Yeah. Unless you're using super toxic chemicals and I just don't garden that way. Yeah. Well, a good replacement would be a hydrangea. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you had problems with deer eating hydrangea? Uh, well, just once last spring. Okay. I <laughs> Can you believe I live down the street from Bellevue Square? Yeah. And I have deer. Uh-huh. They're everywhere. <laughs> they are everywhere. And they did. I had a new a new little baby hydrangea that I actually it was a cutting that I had rooted. And the little cutting had actually made a bloom. Oh. And a deer came along and ate it. Oh no. <laughs> uh, they're awful. So I am uh, really angry at the deer. So now what I have to do, I don't have to do it during the summer because there's so much available for the deer to eat. But I found a product online called, called Bobex, B-O-B-B-E-X, recommended by the Connecticut Extension Service. And talk about deer. They have deer in Connecticut like <laughs> like nobody's business. So I figured if it worked for them, it would work for me. And it it really is toxic smelling. I can understand why the deer don't like it. The good de- thing is that the smell, the odor goes away by the next day. So oh, you don't have great. to worry about continually smelling it. So so that's what I do about my deer. Yeah, I am having a problem with oak leaf hydrangeas. They're just totally defoliating my oak leaf hydrangeas. Oh. And, and um, this was an oak leaf hydrangea that I had rooted that they ate. Yeah, I, I just assumed that I'd always heard that hydrangeas were um, toxic. Oh. No? That well, most bug, you don't see bugs on them very often or? No, they're, that, it's a great plant because it is so hardy and yeah, it yeah. doesn't have many problems. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the deer. <laughs> <laughs> they're acquiring a new taste. <laughs> yes, they are. So. Um, spray them with yeah. Bobex, and fortunately, it's organic. It doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't hurt the That's deer good. if they eat it anyway. Yeah. But they they even uh, left my tulips alone. Oh wow, that's good to know. So, so anyway, Daniel, thank you so much well, for you, being Nita my Joe. guest today. It was really fun talking to you. Thank you for your call, Susan. That helped us with getting to talk about other things. And Cisco will be back not next week. I'll be here with Richie Stefan. And then Cisco will be here the week after that. So please give us a call then. <laughs>